Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC Movie Rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85-year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 3 of the CW's Superman and Lois is one of the hosts of the All-Star Superfan Podcast, Rob O'Connor. Welcome. Hello. Delighted to be back. Thank you very much. Yeah, this is not the first time we've podcasted, but the first time you've been on this show because you were on my Power Ranger show, Summoning the Zords. And my George Reeves show, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman. Two quick plugs, if you folks haven't listened to those shows. I hope you'll check them out. But this is the first time we have you on the flagship Digging for Kryptonite. Happy to have you here. Delighted to be here. I have my shovel ready to dig. Yes. <laughs> Let me issue a spoiler alert at the top here. We are putting this episode out two weeks after the season finale of Superman and Lois. So people have had some time. But if you are listening to this and you haven't, yet started or finished the season, and you don't want to be spoiled, well, I never want to discourage anyone from listening or watching. <laughs> Maybe you want to put this one <laughs> off to the side while you catch up. This will be a spoiler discussion, and man, do we have a lot to talk about. Oh boy. Yeah. I also want to say one of the things we'll touch on is our predictions for season four, which... Mm -hmm against all odds is happening. You know, the the last two years, I did an episode on season one and an episode on season two, but I did them right before mm. the next season was starting. And this time, I assumed, given the change of ownership yeah. with the CW, their cancellation spree, their new direction, I was convinced. I said, there's no way there's going to be a fourth season. So why wait to do an episode? So I planned to do this <laughs> right after, assuming this was going to be a farewell. And it's not, thankfully. I mean, I'm happy no. about that, but crazy. Absolutely. And do you know what? Like, as much as people are kind of cheering and, and praising everyone for, for bringing it back, it, it is fascinating to me that the whole mechanics of why it was going to get cancelled. So for anyone who doesn't know, Warner Brothers is no longer the majority shareholder. I'm sorry, I'll wrap this up very quickly because for a lot of people, this might not be very interesting. But no, listen, Warner I was Brothers only is... taking a coffee just so I, I'm going to make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go yeah. for, for the hour and a half or two hours that we do. But no, I'm glad that you're talking about this. I think it's important. I find it fascinating. Please. Yeah, so, so Warner Brothers are no longer the majority shareholder in the CW. And what this means is that 
the the revenue they were previously getting from these shows wasn't coming from the broadcast ratings. It was coming from the way they would sell them on to streamers later on. So they'd sell Arrow and Supergirl and all these things to streamers like Netflix for a bunch of money. And now uh, Warner Brothers no longer have a majority share in the CW. Uh, I don't know if that has anything to do with Mr. Zaslav or any of his kind of shenanigans. Um, but this company called Nexstar now own a majority share. And they're kind of going, well, hang on a second. These super duper shows that cost a lot of money and don't rate very well, they don't make us any money. So why should we prop them up? And it's like being honest about it. It is a perfectly reasonable reason to. And, and it's 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 a bad situation for us as fans to be in because everyone's kind of pointing at these companies and going, oh, greed. And, you know, it's such a great show. Why, why would you cancel it? And actually, when you when you look at it in brass tacks, it makes complete sense. And that's why it's so much more miraculous to me that they did manage to work something out and that it is coming back. And my understanding is that now the CW are going to have a certain amount of rights in terms of being able to stream it after the fact. So usually Warner Brothers would would own the show wholesale afterwards, but now the CW are going to hold on to it for a little bit longer or something. I, th- I think that's that's the mechanics of how they've managed to justify paying to bring it back. But I just I just think it's it's great that this has happened and I'm I'm surprised that it did. I, I echo all of that and I thank you for laying that out. And I was familiar with, with most of that, not the piece about this new deal that they've worked out with potentially hanging on to it longer. That's very interesting and that definitely makes sense mm. as far as why this yeah, would be no, more I attractive should, I should, to them. I should stress though that it, it's the streaming rights. It's not to say that the show will last longer or anything like that. I think it's just that in exchange for another season they will be able to stream it for a little bit longer on the CW player, I think, is is the kind of the agreement. Gotcha. But I'll say I, I think all in all, though, like it's just fascinating that, the, you know, the, the corporate mechanisms that lead to these things existing at all are the same things that can lead to them being destroyed, you know? And I think we really, it, it's important as fans sometimes to actually recognize that there are mechanical reasons for why these things happen and don't happen. And it it can make it easier when they finally do go away. I think you know if you kind of accept the real world reasons for it, you know. Very true, but I yeah I was as surprised as anyone, especially during the the upfront presentations. You know they delayed their decision on this show and, and some others for mm. a while. And I remember an interview with the head of of the the new head of the CW talking about basically all the reasons why this wouldn't potentially come back they hadn't made a decision but they were talking about how expensive the show is to produce compared to uh, the rest on the network so it really seemed to be pointing towards this is not going to happen and then we got the surprise news that it's back for a 10 episode fourth season and we were all basking in that for a little while there was the initial news hand in hand with that report that the budget was going to be reduced we might see less in the way of special effects more leaning into the family drama maybe some cast reductions and then mm. we got the confirmation that basically none of the supporting cast will be back as series regulars, but our quartet of Regular. the Kent family yeah. will be regulars, as will Michael Cutlets as Lex Luthor. And the door is open for the others to come back. And I guess that's an open question. We'll see to what extent that happens based on availability and pay and all sorts yeah. of stuff. I, I would say as well, though, like there is only 10 episodes. And, and my understanding is that at least some of the actors, some of the the regulars that are no longer regulars some of them have been signed on for at least three episodes next season and that that could change that that could be more there could be you know so 
I, I, I honestly do think if they shuffle them around well enough, you may not even notice that some of them aren't regulars would be. So, and, and it, the other thing I would say to that is part of the pitfall of these CW shows has always been sometimes I feel like that they have this cast of actors and everyone has to have a storyline or else we're not getting our money's worth. So every week this, you know, Kyle has to have a storyline. Lana has to have a storyline. So it might be no harm that we can kind of space them out a little bit more and let things breathe a bit more. Maybe, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I, that thought had kind of crossed my mind where, you know, you have a show like the Sopranos and certain characters might not be around for entire seasons at a time. And then they'll just suddenly come back. Whereas a show like this, it feels like they have to use everybody every single week or they're not getting their money's worth. So I think there might be a positive side to that as well. All right. I appreciate your optimism. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic. I don't know if I'm quite where you are, but I appreciate that. Your points are well taken. It's funny because yeah. right after that news came out, I pretty quickly saw on Twitter there there was a contingent of folks who were who were happy that the Cushings in particular wouldn't be back yeah. as as regulars. And and to me, and I've talked about this every time we've talked about Superman and Lois, and it's like, no, that that group of characters and Chrissy, all of our non-powered characters make this show special and make this show stand apart. It's why I eventually soured on most of the rest of the Arrowverse. Everyone was part of the super team and it just lost that, for me, that human element. And to, and to me, that perspective, the role that all of these characters play, give the show its its flavor, its texture. And so, yeah, I I, I hope that they they all pop up to some degree or another. According to Dylan Walsh's wife, he's he's out, but we'll 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 see. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, he pops up too. That that was unfortunate. I did read that, and of you know, and we'll get into that. But like of everyone, he's the guy that really you know we really need to see kind of things progress there a bit, you know. But um, I feel like that that might have been said heat of the know, moment. Turn. Like you know, things could change. They could they could get him back. They they could do anything. They, they, you know, they could do a phone call. Whatever. There, remember as well, there was episodes of, I want to say season two, some of the episodes that were filmed in the height of COVID where Dylan Walsh clearly wasn't there. <laughs> he was like in front of a green screen and he was probably back in California. Like they could still do that, you know? Very so true. I don't know. Very true. Well, in the meantime, we are here to unpack the just concluded third season, not the final season, the third season of Superman no. and Lois, which was two episodes less than the first two. It was 13 episodes. And... A lot going on, as always, but the heart of our season was Lois and Clark investigating Bruno Mannheim, the leader of Intergang, while Lois is fighting for her life, battling breast cancer, and a truly harrowing, emotional, deeply personal story that I was very surprised by, and I want to get your take and, and talk about all of this. I guess just big picture, how did you like this season, and how did it live up to the first two for you? So... For anyone who's listening, we, we did an episode on season one. We never got around to doing an episode on season two. Um, this is my favorite live action version of Superman since the 1990s, since Lois and Clark. I'm, I'm wearing a Lois and Clark t-shirt right now. Nice. Um, that, that, that is my favorite uh, Superman show, Lois and Clark. And uh, for, for the simple reason that that show, the characters, even if the stories didn't feel entirely convincing or good... <laughs> The characters always felt completely real and the journeys they went on felt authentic and honest. And Superman and Lois, for me, is the first version since then where that is true. The, the characters just feel so real and honest. And it, it's, it's honest in a way that's true to the heart of the characters from the comics, but it doesn't shy away from kind of ambitious 
character development. And this season especially has just nailed it for me from start to finish. And I can honestly say it's one of the best pieces of DC media I've seen. And to your point about the cancer story, that could have been disastrous. <laughs> like it could have been so badly done. And we've seen enough examples of that on other CW shows in the past. And, and indeed, any of these kind of genre shows where someone will get a life threatening illness and a magic cure will come along and they'll have some cliched run around where, you know, such and such happens. Like they've done it on Supernatural so many times. And, you know, I'm, you know I, I can think of at least one example on Supergirl. Smallville, I think, did stuff like that at some stage. But that was not this at all. Like the, the care and the attention to detail they took in terms of how breast cancer is treated. And it just never felt exploitative. It always felt in service of the story and the characters and the real world illness and how it is dealt with. And I just, I was blown away. And my partner, Saoirse, who is kind of, she, she was on a recent, she was on my uh, review of The Flash. She's kind of become indoctrinated into the world of Superman. And when we started this series initially, she kind of wasn't really sure what to make of it. But as the series has gone on, it's become her favorite version of Superman. And there were episodes of this, and we'll get into it. There were moments of episodes of this where we were both turning to each other and going, oh, like we were just blown away by it. Um, so I was really, really pleased with this season. Absolutely. It, it was so strong and, and surprising. We've talked about yeah. this before. I think that looking at those first two seasons, you saw what appeared to be a pattern emerging where mm. in the first season we have what we think is going to be our villain for the season, Captain Luther, and then we get the bait and switch. It's John Henry Irons. Amazing. Yeah. Then it happens again at the start of season two where it looks like we're getting Doomsday and, you know, Death of Superman fan over here. I'm like, yes! And then we yeah. get the bait and switch and it's Bizarro. And I didn't get as much mileage out of that, yet it was in furtherance of the story. And even plot-wise, we saw it escalate. I was not the biggest fan of season two. I didn't dislike it, but all of the Ali yeah. Austin inverse world business kind of grew tiresome for me. But it seemed like, again, we were getting these bait and switches. We were escalating the stakes and the scope each season. And so when this one started, after that season premiere where Lois gets the call from the doctor that something's up, my immediate thought was, and I said this to my wife and I said this to other Superman fans, I was like, I'm assuming that uh, Dr. Irons faked the diagnosis. It's to throw her off and impede her investigation into Bruno Mannheim and she won't actually be sick. Because I, I did not think that they would go where they did. And I'm, mm. I'm happy that I was wrong. And I, I agree with what you said totally. And that's what I kept thinking of, the attention to detail and the authenticity. You really got the sense that either the people on the writing staff have experienced this themselves or at the yeah. very least talked to people who have gone through this because it just felt very real and very lived in all of these sort of the ebbs and flows, right? Just the cycle of going, of dealing, getting the diagnosis, dealing with it, making a plan, accepting it, going through the treatment, dealing with all of the effects. They got as specific as talking about their sex life and whether or not yeah. this is something that she would be able to do, be interested in doing. And you see them reconnect in an intimate way in the finale. And it was very powerful. I was, I really tip my hat to them for, for getting into it the way they did. At that scene you're talking about where they're discussing their sex life and how it might be impacted by this and if they're going to even want to have sex after it and all this, you know, and again, it just could have been so badly done, but the, the acting was so good. The chemistry between the two actors, 
Uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into the two of them maybe later. But I, I just think Tyler Hecklin has gone from strength to strength on this show. But th- that moment where Clark kind of says, you know, this is going to happen and we're going to find a way to deal with it. It's just, to me, it, it's it's one of the most adult Superman scenes there's ever been. And it was just so true to Superman in the best possible way. And that, w- that was the scene where I kind of turned to Sirsha and went, oh my God, I can't believe how good this is. I can't believe that this exists. Who is it for? Like, are they writing this for me? Because I'm at that age now where I've, I've, I've kind of grown up with different versions of Superman. And this, to me, more than any other version, feels like a version of Superman that is specifically for adults. But that isn't for adults in a way where it's trying to be gritty and it's trying to be, you know, push the boat out in terms of what they can get away with in terms of violence or anything like that. It's it's adult in terms of the challenges they're facing and how they're dealing with them. And Clark's arc this year, for me, it felt like, you know, Superman's whole thing is, oh, well, there's always a way and, you know, we'll always be able to save the day no matter what. And what was so brilliant about his arc this season was he had to learn that, well, people die and that's something that Superman can't stop. And there is nobility and strength and honor and heroism in being brave enough to accept that and actually let go and give the person the dignity to to pass and you know as as kind of as the season dragged on we see pia die and superman comes to that conclusion i just thought that is so effortlessly done so well done and when you contrast that we we recorded an episode on up in the sky recently which is a magnificent comic but there is a scene in that where superman is presented with someone who uh, is in tremendous pain and, and wants to die. And it seems like Superman, sorry to spoil this for anyone, who it seems like Superman uh, helps them do that. And you think, wow, like that's a really noble thing for Superman to do. And then at the end of the story, the guy's alive again and Superman magically found a cure. I'm like, that's, I, I, you know, if, if you're going to deal with these things, really deal with them. And this show, I think, handled that so much better. I don't know how you feel. No, I feel the same way. I think I said the same thing when we talked about it too, where I felt like with, with that up in the sky story, I bumped up against that as well, where it just felt like exactly everything that you just said. Then, uh, you know, it's 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 fine. And I guess it fit in with what that story mm. was trying to do. But I, as I was reading it, I, if nothing else, I thought maybe they could have, I don't know, split the difference and left it up to some measure of interpretation. Exactly. I would have been okay with yeah. that. And it's like, okay, look, if you want to believe he found a way because he's Superman and he always finds a way. Great. And if you, or if you want to look at it as, Hey, sometimes there is this reality that he has to accept and he is able and willing to do that. You can look at it that way too. So no, I, I love the way this played out here. It's funny because my mother watches this show. She doesn't watch really? a ton. Well. Yeah. She doesn't watch a ton of superhero stuff. She watched Lois and Clark though in the nineties. She watched really? the George Reeves show in the fifties or well, when she was in syndication in subsequent decades. She's <laughs> not, not that old, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, she watched Lois and Clark and watched a little bit of Smallville, you know, when when, mm-hmm. when I was younger, but ne- never got all in on it. And she's been watching this and she hasn't finished the season yet, but she's, we've talked about this storyline. She's basically said like, why, why, like, why are they doing this? Like, why do you think they're doing this? And I said, yeah. I think, well, for one thing, it's, it's certainly, it's, it poses a, a new challenge, right? And we can get very yeah. deep and very personal. I said, but more than anything, it, going back to the the classic scene from Superman the movie, just this idea of for all of the power that he has, this is not something that he can fix the way he fixes his yes. other problems. And so he has to go through this process with his wife. And I, I think that's what this shows. I will say, and I don't want to get nerdy and fanboyish about this, the one thing mm. about this season that... I think I'm going to agree with you. Go ahead. About the Kryptonian tech, 
Yep. <laughs> yeah. This what whole the heck was that? That was a misstep, I feel, where the 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 boys are really pushing Clark to use the Kryptonian technology in the fortress to help Lois. And we we get this this answer from Clark that it perhaps could help Lois. Yeah. But then they would have to share that with the rest of the world. And the world isn't ready for that advanced so science. Stupid. Right? What was you had the same reaction? Yeah, it just felt it it felt like they were addressing something, number one, that didn't need to be addressed, like just hand wave it. And number two, if that power can be shared with the world to cure cancer, like you should be spending every hour of every day finding a way to make that work, as Superman has done in the comics. It was just really it was really threw me out of it. I was like, what? like, why did they say that? Like, it, yeah, that 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 did bother me. And, and you know, th- there's kind of lots of little bits and pieces of kind of the, the Superman side of things about this show that that do bother me and but but they're kind of fanboy nitpicks and then some of them like that you're kind of going well no that goes against the nature of the character that they're presenting to us you know like I, another example would be that i i just i don't like this whole thing where superman is kind of working with the department of defense all the time it just it doesn't really play as well outside of america as i think it does within the united states and i think if they had kind of fictionalized that department up a little bit more than they have. Like, for example, in Supergirl, it was um, the Department of Extra Normal Operations. They, they made it more of a comic booky thing. But by having guys in army fatigues, you know, given Superman orders, it, it's never really quite sat right with me. And I know they've they've grappled with that and they've, they've tried to tease it out, but ultimately they've kind of circled right back to it, you know. There's, there's lots of little bits. And then, you know, there's lots of little Kryptonian bits and pieces that sort of don't really work for me either. But I, I think the stuff that the show gets right, that the characters and the family drama and the, the the contrast between the Kent's marriage and Lana's marriage and all that kind of stuff, that more than makes up for those kind of more comic booky complaints that I have, if that makes sense. I agree. But I also agree with you about the DOD. And as someone in America, but I can't speak for everyone, I don't like that aspect either. I don't mm. like the whole idea of, of it's funny because later on when, when Lex and Superman have their confrontation, he calls him a lap dog in a cape. And it's like, yeah, it's like, he, he, he kind of yeah, is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I've never really liked that. And it's, it is interesting where in season two, obviously Sam had retired and then you had Mitch Anderson and you saw that tension and you saw how, Oh, mm. this probably isn't going to work. And then of course they put Sam right back in there and he's calling Superman in. And it's just, I, I would have preferred uh, definitely a, a more removed relationship, maybe some cooperation, but not quite this level of involvement. Yeah. Like you said, it doesn't ruin the show for me or anything like that, but I don't, I don't love that aspect of it. But with the Kryptonian technology, yeah, that really drove me nuts on a number of levels. I do appreciate that mm-hmm. they addressed it, right? This question of, hey, could we use, is there science in the fortress that could help her? I, I'm glad they yeah. at least brought that up. It's a reasonable question for the boys in particular to have. My thing is, like you said, we've seen instances like All-Star Superman, for example, where yeah. he cures cancer. So this idea of we'd have to share it, but we can't sort of thing. I don't really buy that. But honestly, even even more than that, and this might just be, this probably is me just sort of uh, glomming my more, my sense of morality onto onto Superman. And I know he's the ideal, but it's like, if that were my wife and I had the means to help yeah. her, even if... I was convinced I couldn't share it with anyone else and it was selfish. 
I would be selfish for her. Like that's, and that was the thing where I, it just kind of, it, it didn't ring true for me on, on either yeah. side, like no matter how, which, which, which track you take, it just didn't, it didn't add up for me. And, and again, it's like, there's such an easy out in that. I think initially it was implied that, well, if we used any of this technology, it wouldn't be compatible with human DNA and it would make her die quicker or something. It's like, there you go. Just say that. Yes. Or do an entire episode where Clark tries to find a way to make it work and it can't. And there's this really heartbreaking moment where Lara has to tell him, I'm sorry, son, there's nothing I can do. Like, that's perfect. You know, that's a perfect way to... Uh, to, to, to move the story along, you know, in, in a way that, that addresses these kind of fanboy concerns without kind of being counterfeit to, to the, the reality of what Lois is going through, you know. But it, it felt very strange. It felt like maybe it was a last-minute rewrite or something that maybe DC Comics made them do or one of these weird kind of contractual kind of IP-related things. I just didn't like that. And it really stood out to me throughout the whole season. I was like, that was a weird moment. I know. I kept, every time we were, and this this was a driving force of the season. And every time we were we were in those scenes with the treatment, I just kept thinking about mm. that. It really bugged me. Now, audience, you might be saying, "I can't believe he hasn't talked about Doomsday yet." We're getting there. Oh, Here's yeah. the thing: <laughs> I wanted to launch right into Doomsday, but the the cancer storyline was so powerful and really was what the season was about. And so I didn't yeah. want to get on the the Doomsday train and lose sight of that. Mm. So there's still a lot more for us to talk about, but yeah. I have to tell you, even more so than the Kryptonian tech piece, do you want to know, I think, what, what bothered me more than anything this entire season, Rob? Okay. How friggin' old is George Jr., Mayor Jr., whatever his name was? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looks like 40. <laughs> that guy. And on top of everything, right, Jr., but what was the mayor's name? George, it was George. George Dean? I can't remember. Yeah, something. Yeah. Right. This guy, this drove me nuts every time he's on screen. And on top of everything, they had the gall to do an underage drinking episode. It's like you did an episode that just calls attention to the fact that this guy looks vastly older than anyone else on the show. On top of looking so much older, he's also so obviously Canadian in a way that none of the other actors are. He's all about his boots and his, you know, all all those kind of Canadianisms that I don't know if you listen to uh, Talkville, they're they're always kind of complaining about the you know the Canadian day players that 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 uh, would stop by the set and would have these bit parts, and you can always tell their accents. Um, That really stood out to me as well. But yeah, (laughs) and they're pretty good with the the actors looking the age they're supposed to be in this. A lot more than Smallville was. Um, but yeah, no, that guy, he looks older than me. <laughs> I know, you know, I think about that all the time. They they did really do a great job with with the casting because you look at Jordan and John and they're, mm. they're the age that Tom Welling is, like their characters are the age that Tom Welling's Clark was supposed to be at the start of Smallville. And it's like, yeah. you, you, you compare them and yeah, Tom Welling, like this grown man from the start, whereas these feel like teenagers, but not Junior. This guy, there was one, I don't mean to belabor the point, but the, there was I, maybe his last episode. I, I literally paused it in the middle. I was like, I have to look him up. And do you want to know something funny? His, age, his age isn't listed. And oh. he, I couldn't find it anywhere. I went to his IMDb. There's not much on him generally. I don't know that he, you know, he's done a ton of stuff, but that, that just, uh, you know, added fuel to the fire there. It's like, why are you hiding here, man? How old are you? <laughs> Yeah, not the best casting there, but in any event, again, there's a lot to talk about on the way to the finale, but Mm. the finale, the finale gave us Doomsday 
turned Bizarro into Doomsday and gave us the Superman Doomsday live action fight that I have been waiting for for 30 years. I can't tell you how happy and excited I was during that that finale. What? How did you feel as it was unfolding? I, I as soon as Lex said, um, he's growing. Know, uh, if, if if you keep dying, you grow stronger each time. I was like, oh hey, I see what they're doing here. Um, I, yeah, it was it was delightful. It was a lot of fun, and I the whole way watching it through, I was just remembering the episode you did with uh, with Zach about the Smallville season eight finale, and I was going, those guys are going to be delighted because it is far truer to the source material and the scale of that fight in the source material. And you know what? I went to see the Flash a couple of weeks ago. Those special effects were as good or better than that. You know. Only thing, purely from a comic book fanboy perspective side of things, this whole thing where Doomsday has powers and he has heat vision and all that sort of stuff, didn't like it in BVS, not crazy about it here. Um, I did, however, really like the idea that the Bizarro suit was kind of like blended into his body, almost like the, the, he'd absorbed it and that the S was kind of bulging out of his chest. I, it, it was an interesting look for the character. And I did really, I hope it was a Superman 4 reference that they ended up fighting on the moon i thought that was cool um all in all though the finale to me it did feel a little bit like they were sort of they were worried they were going to get cancelled and they were worried that this would be the last episode so they were kind of hurrying along with certain things and the doomsday thing as much as i enjoyed watching it and as i i went to get another beer as soon as i as soon as i knew doomsday was coming i said this is going to be great and i I'd, smiling from ear to ear it was a lot of fun it 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 felt a little bit more bought than earned if that makes sense whereas everything that throughout the season with bruno Mannheim and onomatopoeia and all that stuff like it was just it all came from the characters, whereas Lex Luthor just suddenly came out of nowhere and then Doomsday suddenly kind of came out of nowhere as well. Now, it was great entertainment and I'm so grateful that they did it. That was maybe my only... Just that certain things kind of felt a little bit kind of accelerated in a way that I would have liked to see them uh, kind of develop out over season four, if that makes sense. I hear you. I hear you. I, I I don't dispute that. It definitely was not in keeping with the rest of this season. Right? This yeah. season was so much so much more grounded, so much smaller in scale and so personal that I and look, I've I've been burned now multiple times when it comes to Doomsday. So I in no way, <laughs> shape, or form was I expecting Doomsday. It looked like we were gonna get some version of a bizarro rematch. And I I kind of figured yeah. that would be kind of our spectacle in the finale, right? Because just to have And I would have been fine with that. Yeah. But this this didn't bug me. I will take it. And yes, I did that episode with with our pal Zach on Always Hold On to Smallville. Almost three hours. We talked about the uh, that that Doomsday quote unquote fight from the season eight finale <laughs> of Smallville. He and I were messaging, and I I was like, he was like, oh man, if only we had known this was this was coming on Superman and Lois. And I said, you know, we definitely would have passed the three hour mark if we had known. So it's probably better yeah. that we didn't. But uh, yeah, all I could think of was that Smallville finale, which aired just over 14 years ago. And I mm. won't rehash the whole thing, but that was a season of expectation about what this yes. final confrontation would be like. And it was so short and so anticlimactic and it has haunted me until I did that episode with Zach. And I put a lot of that, put a lot of that to rest. I got it out of my system. And then it was just this, this moment of redemption where we got yeah. this fight and you're, it, you know what? And this is the thing. It came out of nowhere in the context of this season, but you know what? 
I was still there for it. And Why look, not? it's yeah. the exact flip of Smallville. Smallville made you, they built it up for a season and then gave you next to nothing. This show made you think all you got was that little tease at the beginning of season two. And then all of a sudden they give you the doomsday that you always wanted here. And it, it's funny, it was it was right when Lex noticed that Bizarro, that Bizarro was growing. When he said you're, he's growing. My yeah. poor, my poor wife. The whole second, like, the last chunk of the show, I was like, I said he's growing. Like they're doing doomsday. Like I was losing yeah. it. I was so excited. Now here's the other thing. Because I've been burned before. And let me also say just real quick, because people know I, I am a big fan of the Snyder movies. That being said, I don't mm. I don't love the doomsday. Uh, the look. Or the or that, that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, you know, I get the, the purpose that it served and, and all of that, but uh, yeah, that fight didn't didn't really scratch that itch for me either. So when I say this is the fight that I've always longed for, it it really was. But again, I've been burned before that even when it was starting to unfold, I my expectations were still really low. Like yeah. how how far did you think it was going to go? Because there were a couple of points along the way where it looks like it stopped. And I really bought, yeah. and the thing is, I've been burned so badly before, like when Superman impales Bizarro on that, mm. on that, that pole at the, at the top of the building, honestly, after Smallville, I was like, okay, like that's probably, that's probably, that's probably right. yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. that aside, just watching this episode of, of course, you know, like there's going to be a, a twist and more is going to come, but again, I've really been burned. So I was like, okay, that's probably, <laughs> what did you think as you were watching it? Like how far did you think they were going to go? As, as soon as they landed in Smallville, I was kind of like, okay, so maybe this is going to be a little bit more of a grounded kind of punching match as opposed to a big, epic, global uh, brawl, you know? Um, and then, you know, they, they went under underground. They, they, they went underwater at some stage. Um, yeah, they, they ended up in Metropolis. Uh, it, like, I suppose as well, I knew you could sense throughout the season that they were scaling all the Superman stuff back a bit. So I kind of went, okay, well, this is the season finale. They've obviously saved up a bit, a bit of money. This could really be something, and it really, really was. And I, I, I'm kind of controversially, I'm, I'm one of those people that actually kind of likes a cliffhanger, a cliffhanger ending where you kind of end on the two punches, like, you know, Rocky Three, the two. <sighs> you the and two I are on the same page. We're on the same page. I, that was a perfect way to end it. I wasn't kind of going, oh, I wish we'd seen the rest of the fight. I was like, that's actually, and if the show had ended there, I'd, almost be i'd be fine with it you know it was a perfect conclusion and and it was it was great and the cgi was just really satisfying it was more than above average like it was for a tv show and not even a streaming show like a traditional broadcast television show that whoever designed that and you know animated all that they should be very very proud because it was very satisfying to watch it was great i know not to keep beating up on the flash but it's just like you see what what this big budget motion picture was able to do compared to this. And it's like, yeah. are you kidding me? But no, I am so glad you said that about the cliffhanger because that's this, that's what I felt as well. That, that Rocky three freeze frame yeah. finish. It's like, Oh, again, I'm glad that we're getting another season, but there is a part of me that's like, I would, I would really be okay. And people might be like, what are you guys talking about? But yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Just let it sit with you for a minute because I think there's something really, really cool about that, especially because Clark already won. You know, in that in that moment where Doomsday is is dragging him into space and he's he's unconscious and he's seemingly down for the count, and Lois whispers to him, and then we see all of the flashes. And of course, no flashes of his time as Superman, except the moment where he's holding he's holding Jordan, right? 
it's all, all he's thinking about are the moments with his family because that's who he is, right? Ultimately at his core. And that's what re-energizes him and revives him. And he's one in that moment. So I feel like it's like, oh my God, we don't know what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Even if, even if, even if he's, he dies at the hands of Doomsday, he'll come back. But in any event, it's like he already won. So I actually would have been okay with that, with that kind of finish. And it's such a beautiful subversion of what happened in the comics. Because if you remember in the Death of Superman comic, he's flying towards Doomsday and he, it's implied that he has this moment where he might be able to beat him. But then he hears a cry for help and his humanity forces him to go back and save. And he, you know, it, it badly impacts his ability to beat Doomsday as the fight goes on. Whereas in this moment, it's actually his humanity that gives him the strength to, as you say, re-energize and, and get back in the fight. So it's, it's, a, it's a lovely kind of bringing the whole, the, the comics full circle. Really, really nice moment. No, that's a great point. And, and again, I think just speaks to the character generally, and especially as presented on the show, he's had a big life. He's had the biggest life out of anyone in existence, the things he's seen, the places yeah. he's gone. But in the end, it's those, it's those quiet moments, those small moments with his family. That's what, that's what mattered to him. So here's the other thing too. We don't know what the fourth season is going to bring. And hopefully it's great. And hopefully we're like, oh, I'm so glad that they did a fourth season. And again, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but there is a part of me that foresees a scenario where we end up with a season four that, especially due to these budget cuts in terms of cast, in terms of effects, whatever the case may be, where, and I hope this doesn't prove true, but I, you can't help yep. but wonder if we get to a point where it's like, oh man, that it kind of lost, it lost a little bit of the magic. I almost wish that we had just ended on that on that face off on the moon and kind of knowing that the rest of the characters were, were, were all, well, except for Sam, he's the only one whose uh, fate was really, really yeah. left up in the air. But uh, it, again, hopefully it doesn't get to that point, but I am with you. There's really something kind of appealing about the Rocky three finish. Oh yeah. Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw yeah! Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection. As the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material, mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail-order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I do echo that. The, the, you know, remember there's a writer strike on at the moment as well, so they can't even plan what they want to do. Like, there are a lot of cards stacked against season four right now. But I think, you know, <laughs> the combination of this show and its precarious future, and then films like The Flash that are kind of just begging you to remember things that are far far in the past, it's really just made me appreciate that when these things are good, appreciate them while they're there and stop thinking about 
the future. Stop thinking about the past. Just enjoy it in the moment. And while I was watching that finale, I was like, God, I'm so grateful this show exists. You know, and it wasn't it wasn't my favorite episode of the season by any stretch, but it was just another really strong hour of Superman that felt like it was made for me. And it, it just really hit me the right way. And I was just so grateful. And to anyone who's kind of, you know, worried about not just the future of this show, but the future DC in general, just if there is a version of the character that you like that's going on now, celebrate it and enjoy it and love it because it won't be around forever. And that's that's kind of how I'm approaching this show. <laughs> I'm trying not to think about the day that it gets bad or the day that it gets canceled because either of those two things could happen, you know? No, that's a great point. I actually, I, I tweeted this after because I was I was really basking in the glow of this finale and this doomsday moment. And again, just this this sense of of redemption after after yeah. that Smallville debacle. And I said, it's like the the arc of being a Superman fan. It's, it can be very frustrating at times for all of the reasons that we've talked about on all of our podcasts and we've tweeted mm. about and all that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, but the arc of being a super fan is long, but it, it bends towards awesomeness. Like eventually, and this Doomsday thing was such a good example of that where, oh, a decade and a half since <laughs> since that frustrating Smallville finale. <laughs> and then to be here in that moment, uh, it was, here's the other funny thing too, and I must have said this on some episode, but I can't remember. As, as much as I, I have such attachment to the death of Superman story, and if they're going to bring in Doomsday, I want it done right. At the same time, it's not like I enjoy seeing my favorite character getting getting beaten to death. So yeah. <laughs> it's this weird kind of mix of emotions where as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, they're finally doing it. But it's like, oh, but I don't want to see this poor guy just get yeah. thrashed. Uh, so there were points along the way, like yourself, when they when they start the battle in Smallville on the farm, I really thought that was going to be our setting for it. And I, I was okay with that. That was one of the things I said when we talked about Smallville. It's like, look, if you didn't have the budget, like just do it, do it in the woods, do it in a warehouse, like, you know, keep it small, but you could still do something. So I thought that was going to be it. And then we moved to Metropolis. And like I said, when Doomsday's impaled, I thought, okay, that's a little anticlimactic, but it's still more than we've gotten before. I'm okay with that. And then when Doomsday comes down, then I was getting worried. It's like, oh no, like, are they just going to kill Clark, but it's like, no, they can't kill Clark and still have Doomsday out there. Right. So that, that made me feel okay. But there was this sense of for both, like, and and that's what I want to say. I got to give them a lot of credit because so much of the time, especially for us, where we watch all of this stuff, we study all of this, we dissect it, we talk about it, we predict it, we're reading articles. I feel like it's, it's hard to surprise us a lot of the time or absolutely even if we are surprised for a second we kind of have a sense okay we know it's gonna we know kind of know how it's gonna mm. go but there was there were there was that moment there was like oh, i really i really don't know and i don't get that feeling a lot and it was really it was really cool yeah that that's true actually like it, it really wasn't until that moment that lex said that where i was kind of going oh wow doomsday is about to happen you know it was very very surprising yeah. um and on the topic of that, though, one thing that I almost wish was a surprise was Lex Luthor being in it at all. I, I'm with you. That's actually, so I have some patron questions that we'll get to in a, in a little bit, but that was one of them. Do you wish that they had kept Lex's appearance a surprise? Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. I, I, it's like I get it to an extent. They, they got to sell the show. They want people to tune in, but they announced his casting so early and we didn't mm. know exactly when in the season it was going to happen. So kind of all along the way, it's like, oh, I wonder when Lex is going to pop up. And it's not until these last couple of episodes. I agree, man. I think if they had just kept that under wraps, that would have been such a cool surprise. Because the other thing, too, is, and we haven't even talked about Bruno yet, played by Chad Coleman. Yeah. I love this villain. I love the actor. Absolutely. And and I feel like 
maybe to some extent it, it took a little bit away because you still had the specter of Lex hanging over everything. And when's Lex going to show up? And it's like, no, no, like just focus on Bruno. This is very compelling here. So yeah, I, I, I think I, they should have kept it a secret. I've I've written that down. Like it kind of undermined him a little bit because he was so engaging and it was such an interesting story. But every time you mentioned Lex, you were like, oh, Lex is going to be in it now. <laughs> um, so yeah, like and and I, I I what did you say the actor's name was? Apologies, I've, I've forgotten it already. Oh, Bruno, the actor who played Bruno, uh, Chad Coleman from Walking Dead, and he's also he's also. Do you watch Always Sunny? It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I have done. Yeah, I don't I don't watch it, but I have seen it a lot. Yeah, because he's he has a, a a recurring part in that. I actually forget his name mm. offhand, but he's just like this insane as everyone is on that show, but so hilarious. <laughs> and then of course, yeah, he was Tyrese on Walking Dead for a while, but yeah, he was tremendous in this. Really, really good. And just, you know, and in a lot of ways, he kind of reflected the Lex Superman animosity, like that there was those great scenes where Superman would fly into his office that were very reminiscent of not only the animated series, but also Lois and Clark and the comics, you know, and that the, there was the exploring the whole, you know, he was mainly a mobster, but there was white collar crime in there as well. And I really, really liked how they kind of made it a little bit more of a gray area in terms of, well, I do all these criminal activities, but they pay for this, you know, experimental medical facility that's saving all these lives. And, you know, the reason I'm a criminal is because of all these horrible socioeconomic reasons that are, you know, Superman doesn't really deal with. And just really, really lovely three-dimensional portrait of, you know, and it was such a grounded villain compared to, you know, you mentioned Ali Alston. I lost interest in that very quickly in season two. That felt like it could have been a three-part episode and it was stretched out the whole season. Talro in season one, a lot of fun. I, I really, really did grow to like that character, but it, you know, it was, it's been done. You know, it's cliched. This really felt fresh and grounded and character-driven and just really, it just reminded me how much I almost prefer Superman stories when they're a little bit more scaled back and it isn't about universes crashing into each other and it's more just about investigative journalism and, you know, Superman only shows up when a bridge falls and he needs to catch it, you know? Um, really, really enjoyed it. And you know what? Like everything they did with Pia, contrasting with Lois, um, and then Mateo. If if I could point at one thing that I kind of thought was predictable, it was as soon as Mateo showed up, I was kind of like, oh, well, he's obviously Bruno's son. And there's going to be a Romeo, Romeo and Juliet romance here. And it's going to end up with the two dads fighting. And that's exactly what happened. But I can forgive them that because everything else was so, so well done. I, I agree with you. And look, the show has trained us. And when someone shows up, it's always, well, who are they? Who are they really? And yeah, it was not a huge stretch to put that together. And the way is when they when they make that quote unquote reveal in that episode that mm. <laughs> that Bruno and Pierre's parents is like, all right, come on, guys, did you really think we wouldn't yeah. see this? But yeah, again, I I can I can get over that. No, he was. Look, we we whenever we talk about these comic book shows and and movies, and we talk about the villains, <clears throat> there there are varying degrees of effectiveness, and I feel like this. Uh, this depiction of Bruno Mannheim was was far and away one of one of the more effective ones that we've seen in these stories because because of how compelling his motivations were and how understandable and yes we get the backstory and we see how he and Pia took power and how they murdered the bosses of Intergang mm. they pinned it on Lex and and even in the present day as they're experimenting on these on these individuals and and they've stolen Clark's blood and and you know they're going about that business yeah it's not it's not great <laughs> but at the same time. 
he's he's trying to save his wife. And to your and to your point, like there's this whole larger picture about what he's trying to do for his community, an underserved, yeah. overlooked community, including by Superman himself. So there's a lot there that really tracks. And especially, look, what were we saying just a minute ago about how frustrated we were with Clark and his refusal to even entertain the notion of using the Kryptonian technology, right? Yep. I think there's something about Bruno where it's like, yeah, again, if that were my wife and I had the means, like, I, I would do anything. So as this is unfolding, it's like, and there were points along the way where I turned to Steph. I was like, he might be the hero of the season here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, cure cancer. So, yeah, it was good. And I agree with you. I love all of those scenes uh, in the office, on the balcony. Yes, it is so reminiscent of all of those Superman Lex moments that we've yeah. gotten. It was, yeah, it was such a great, uh, such a great dynamic. And we got to see Clark doing a little investigative reporting as well. Oh, my goodness gracious. That, like, that, that has been, that is a consistent criticism I have of all these modern Superman shows is they never, they kind of, they, they leave the journalism to Lois. It's like, okay, understandably, we need to give Lois more of an agency in these modern versions. So the journalism is her thing. That's what she does. And then Clark ends up never doing it. Now, I know there's a whole thing in the Ultimate Edition of Batman vs. Superman. Didn't really resonate with me, that, that whole subplot, I have to say. I'm, I appreciate that they, that they included it. It just, I, I was also disappointed in those, especially Man of Steel, that there wasn't more of a journalism presence in it. Um, and and it's a problem I've had with this series as well. It's like, why can Clark not be helping out a bit more? And to their credit, they do occasionally give him little bits and pieces to do in the Smallville Gazette, ladies and gentlemen. But that scene where he's interviewing uh, Bruno, I was like, reporter Clark is back in business. It was such a strong scene. And again, Tyler Hecknan was just killing it. And the whole time, you know, he was so... He like I was completely buying him as a journalist and he was he was kind of antagonizing Bruno, but he always felt like Clark Kent. He never felt like Superman in that scene, which I really, really liked. And I again, you know, going back to the fanboy nitpicks, I have issues with how they handle the dual identity in in this episode. But Hecklin's performance as Clark, I think, is second to none. He's so good as Clark, both as Clark the dad, and especially in that particular scene, Clark the reporter. I just completely bought it. And it was, I was so grateful to that, that scene. And even the way they shot it was really, really good. You know, um, they just had, it was all these tight shots on their face and they go back and forth and it was really, really good scene. Really like that. Yeah, that was great. And I mean, the two of them playing off of each other again, Chad Coleman, just the, the intensity and the presence that he, that he brought to it and the way he talks to Superman in particular really stood out. It's like this, you, this the man with the powers of a God standing in front of you and you're talking to him like, like he's nothing. And it just, again, it shows you exactly who this guy is and where he's coming from. And, and again, the more you learn about him and why he's doing the things he's doing, it's like, okay, yeah, you get it. Like nothing is going to stop him and you, you understand it. I, I agree with you. I, I'm always hesitant to sort of, I guess, give give superlatives or rank the actors and things like that because it's it's so mm. it always depends on on the specific context and then there's the whole the personal component like again Smallville it was so formative for me so I always go to that but yeah but both personally and and really trying to be as objective as possible I, yeah I mean this might be the most well rounded fully realized version of the character that we've gotten of, of, of Superman. I mean, in terms of, mm. you know, kind of getting to see, cause I think this, this version and look in fairness, it is a Superman a little further down the line. Right. Yes. Yeah. But you get to see, I guess a lot of the, 
aspects of the character that have been represented before, but it's part of the larger package. And you have this added component yes. of him as a father. And so it really, it checks a lot of boxes, man. And it brings a lot together, I feel, in, in, in a strong way. Again, mm. not that it's, again, Tom Welling's always going to be number one in my heart, but <laughs> but I really feel like this this version really, again, like ties a lot together when you look at the the long view of the mythology. If it, if I could point to, and one of the things that has been missing for me throughout is that one of the main things they don't do in this show is the dual identity. I feel like there's been little bits of lip service paid to it in season one, and then in season two, they just told everybody a secret so now they don't have to deal with it at all anymore. And where we're kind of left with now is a situation whereby Clark is in nearly every scene and Superman is very rarely seen in the show. And when he is, his dialogue and his presence in the show is mainly kind of expository. Like he's he's really only there to say, Sam, where do I need to go? And, you know, so I, d I don't really feel like, and, and we don't really talk enough about how the dual identity has played into his life and all that. I, I, I do feel like Lois and Clark did that a bit better. And I feel like that, that, that side of things was kind of a bit more rounded. And I understand why they shy away from all that stuff. First of all, it's ridiculous. We all know that. The second reason is it's hard to make your central character likable when he's developing all these friendships with people, but he's lying to them the whole time. So the, 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 the writers are probably always thinking to themselves, okay, well, how are we going to, how are we going to get ourselves to a situation where we can tell Lana and we can tell Chrissy and we can tell Kyle and all these people so that we don't have to deal with this guilt anymore? <laughs> you know, um, that, that's the only crucial component of the, of the stew that's missing for me is I just don't feel like they explore that enough, of what it's actually like to lead a double life. And I feel like Superman kind of is literally a lapdog in a cape at this point in the show. Like there isn't enough of a personality difference there, you know? But all the stuff with Clark, again, makes up for it. It's so good and it's so strong. I hear you. And I, that's one of the things that I know Tyler and, and Bitsy have talked about. There was an interview recently about their hopes for season four. And one or both of them talked about wanting to see more of their early days in Metropolis. And oh, yeah. that's one of the things, especially, you know, they're, they're two of a very small group of returning series regulars and Lex will be a regular presence. My hope is that we will get more of those flashbacks and, and maybe we'll get some of what you're, you're hoping for. I would also like to see more of that in the present day as well, but yeah. based on what the way they've set up the show at this point and what we've seen so far, I don't know that they would do that. But if we spend more time and kind of see a little bit more about the development of their relationship, that initial reporting, the mm. initial takedown of Luther, I feel like that might be a, a good vehicle to kind of get into some of that. Cause I, I agree. I mean, I think that's, and look, you know, you talk about the Marvel movies and how they've completely just turned their turned away from yeah. the secret identities. It's like, no, there really is a place for it. And so, no, I don't, I, I can't disagree with that. I think that is something that is missing generally. <laughs> and even on the show, like the fact that so many people now at this point, the entire cast of characters knows I, I could do without that. I don't need every single person uh, to know. No, totally. And, but, but what I will say to their credit was uh, in this season, obviously Kyle finds out and there's that moment where he confronts Chrissy and they have that really cliched CW argument about, oh, I can't believe you would keep this from me. And I went, oh God, now they're going to break up and they're going to draw this out for the whole season like they do in every one of these CW shows. And to their credit, they didn't. He came back at the end of the episode and he said, you know what? I was a jerk. You had your reasons. That's fine. Let's move on. And I was so grateful that they did that. Yeah, let's have a baby. No, that'll come later. I got to say though, on the note of Kyle and Chrissy, there were the show gave us. I was very delighted by this. 
the show gave us a number of new character pairings, whether it was for mm -hmm. a storyline or even just an individual episode. And I really appreciated it. The diner scene with Sam and Lana when they're commiserating over getting back into the dating scene. It's like, that's great. I love stuff yeah. like that. And then they have that little passing exchange uh, at the Gazette a little bit later and they, they reference that. And that's wonderful. I love stuff like that. Uh, having Jonathan uh, get involved with the Smallville Fire Department and uh, getting trained and hazed by by Kyle and company and getting those those Jonathan and Kyle scenes. Like, I thought that was great. Uh, the Kyle and Chrissy unexpected romantic pairing. I thought that ended up working really well. So putting different combinations of characters together uh, was something that I, I very much enjoyed this season. Yeah. And do, do you know, what? one of the real masterstrokes of this season in particular was it didn't really feel like there was any character who I didn't like to be around. And I think the Kyle and Chrissy pairing from the first episode of season three, I was kind of like, oh, that's that's nice. I like that. You know, I like those two characters together. And it really helped us to know and appreciate them a little bit more than just being these offshoots of the source material. Like Kyle is obviously Lana's husband, so we have to care about him. And Chrissy is the editor of the newspaper, so we have to care about her. Where suddenly we actually care about them as people. Um, and, and I really, really liked it. And, and you know, we we sort of alluded to this in our season one review of our show, um, All-Star Superfan, we talked about season one and we, we kind of said that Kyle is very much in the mold of Brad Wilson from Superman 3. And I feel like they definitely consciously had that in their minds when they when they designed him as a character. And he's really moved beyond that. He's just this great guy and this great man. And he's still a little bit impulsive sometimes, I think. But uh, just really, really liked everything they did within this season. And as you said earlier on, it's so important that you have those kind of grounded human characters that aren't these kind of perfect paragons like Superman to, to kind of contrast and compare with these other characters. It, it, it really grounds the show in a great way. And I, I hope that if the show does continue on past season four, they never kind of go, geez, you know, we must give Kyle powers, <laughs> you know, which too many of these shows have done. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I've always been a Kyle defender and he's, it's, it's funny cause it's like you see the, gr and I give them a lot of credit cause you see the growth, but then still that boneheadedness occasionally, mm. like in the finale, a perfect example, he finds out that Chrissy's pregnant. He steps up, he has a very mature conversation with Lana about it. I did think it was a little odd that it was a family discussion. I feel like that would have the kids. Yeah. I feel like you break the news to your ex-wife first. Then you have your family meeting. <laughs> that was maybe they were just trying to uh, move things along quickly, but that just felt like, yeah, maybe you don't do this in a group setting. But then he proposes to Chris <laughs> in front of the whole town without talking to Lana first. So, you know, again, I guess he felt like she gave her blessing and 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 that was enough. But clearly, she had a reaction to that. So, uh, but you know, it's 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 all right. And and I have to say, I, it was great. When when he finally did confront Clark, right? He's convinced that Jonathan. Uh, has powers, of course. It's Jordan, and they're having this conference. You know, Kyle and Clark are having this confrontation on the on the Kent front lawn, and Clark has to go right. And Kyle like tries to push him, and and, and immediately <laughs> is sent back, and he has this realization. And you know, he was the last one, other than Sophie, I guess, but he's the last one uh, who didn't know. But he, he took it in stride. I liked it. My, my my theory with Sophie, by the way, has always been that you know, with these kind of teen centric shows. There comes a point where the teenage characters age out and they have to go to college. So Sophie, who rarely appears on the show, she's kind of the writers kind of investing in future seasons where, you know, suddenly they'll have a character who is 16 and they can just, you know, continue the teenage, teenage antics, you know? 
<laughs> Maybe. Yeah, that's probably that's probably not going to happen now. But I, uh, that's always been my uh, my my theory. You know, I like that. And she did. At least she got one spotlight episode where she ran off mm. and everyone's worried about her. And, you know, I guess a meta commentary about how the show tends to neglect her just as the characters do. And it, it, it led to a great moment with Jonathan where he talks about, you know, feeling left out and overlooked as well. And by the way, Michael Bishop, by the way, he's the new Jonathan. And within an episode or two, you know, we were turning to each other going, God, this guy is better. Like, and we, I liked Jordan Elsa's quite a bit. And this guy's even better. Like his chemistry with Alex Garfin, who plays Jordan, is perfect. Like you can buy that they are actually related in so many ways. And he's just great. I really, really like him. I think he's really good. I agree. Look, that was one of the wonky things going into this season, right? Especially Mm. these days, you rarely see a recasting, like just a straight recasting, especially of such a prominent character. And I... Again, I, as I've learned, you really can't peg this show down or predict, but I assume they were going to, I assume there was going to be something where like when the season starts, Jonathan's been off playing with the technology in the fortress for a few weeks <laughs> or something like that. And he comes back and they're like, oh, it looks so different. You grew so much. Uh, clearly they didn't do any of that. We picked up right where we left off with the Kent family at the fortress. And I agree with you, man. Like he, he very, very quickly won me over and my wife as well. And, and we really did like the previous actor a lot, but you know, he he put his own spin on it while still feeling true to the character. And you know what what it was for me in particular? The relationship with Candace. I mm. bought that a lot more now. And like watching okay. the last season, I was not I was not the biggest fan of Candace, mostly because I think I, I, I really didn't care for her her role in sort of roping Jonathan into the the XK business. And I feel like they tried to make us sympathetic towards her but I feel like it came a little bit too late in the game. I didn't like the way that the Mm. Candace stuff unfolded last season. And I guess I never totally bought the two of them. And I I can't put my finger Mm. on on why exactly, but watching these two, it, it made more sense to me. So that relationship and then the character of Candace, I was more invested in now. And I attribute a lot of that to, to Michael Bishop. Interesting. Yeah. And Candace didn't really have a huge, it was more the, the stuff they did with her father and the, the, the ensuing Diner Showdown a la Superman 2, which I absolutely loved. Um, but yeah, no, no, it was an interesting little kind of side note in, in the middle of the season, definitely. That diner scene. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than, other than Doomsday, that diner scene is, and even, even still with Doomsday, the diner scene probably is my top moment of the season. How about you? Uh, I would say the the scene between Lois and Clark talking about how they're going to approach intimacy in the future was was probably the scene of the entire show for me so far. But yeah, that's definitely up there, that diner scene. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, a lot of people complain about the diner scene in Superman 2, and some people complain about the one in Man of Steel as well, whereas this one is decidedly less problematic than either of those. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's just standing up for his son. He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything really aggressive really you know he didn't hurt the guy he was just making his presence known and saying look you can't get away with this and really really liked it everything and i feel like if you want to know who superman is and especially if you want to know who this this show's version of of clark and superman are this is a great scene and and the preceding Mm. scene where he learns that candace's dad punched jonathan and drew a gun threatened lois and as he's leaving the house, Lois is like, this isn't a job for Superman. He's like, he's not going. It's like, this is, this yeah. is a job for Clark. And from the moment he enters, he, you know, he's trying to get 
what's his name, Emmett or whatever the, the father's name is. But he's trying to get him out of there, right? Like he doesn't want to make a scene. He doesn't want to do this in front of Candace who's working at the diner. Like you see how considerate he is throughout this. But you I said, excuse me, sir, will you step outside? <laughs> and it's just like you see the Jonathan Kent in him. And I, we've talked about that scene a couple of times on the show so far. And I, I'll say the same thing that I always say. It's just you you really feel this is something he would do even if he had no power at all. And you feel like yeah. this is something he's probably seen Jonathan Kent do at some point where, you know, he, somebody had to be set straight and, and Jonathan is going to be direct and he's not going to back down. And man, I loved I loved everything about the scene, including, especially going back to uh, Kyle Cushing, Kyle's reaction. He's like, damn, Ken, yeah. that's great. Damn. <laughs> um. I, I don't know if you've seen this, but I actually uh, cut that scene with the diner music from Superman 2 put on it. And it's it's on our, um, I think it's on our Twitter somewhere. It's definitely on my TikTok as well. So people can go and look at that. I it's did see that. I love that. The music like fits the scene perfectly. Like it doesn't take away from it. And it's like perfectly in time with that music. It's so good. I mean, not to take us too far afield, but what what, what is your stance on the diner scene from Superman 2? Because it's funny. I never thought twice about it. I always, growing up watching Superman 2, I, I always enjoyed that scene. I never thought a mm. ton about it. And then in recent years, I've seen that they're, they're really, people are kind of split on whether or not Superman's actions in that are appropriate. Where, where do you land on that? I think it's, you know, it's a natural, you, you want to see that guy get his comeuppance at the end of the movie. And it's a fun little cartoon. Like there, there are so many, I, I feel like people take the ethics of Superman 2 so seriously when, you know, it, it really doesn't have the same level of kind of verisimilitude as the first one. It is for many, for all intents and purposes, it's a bit of a cartoon of a movie. And I love Superman 2, but I think there's two things people take way too seriously. One of them is the, the supposed death of General Zod in the fortress. And the other one is that diner scene they're both cartoony scenes. They're only there for kind of comedy entertainment value. They're not there to be kind of obsessed about and constantly debated over. And yeah, for me, it's a really, really fun scene. And Christopher Reeve, like not, a, there can never be enough good said about that man. This order's to go. Like <laughs> every time I watch it, I smile. I love it. And I, I will hear no, no ill words spoken of that scene. I love it. The only real problem I have is when you when you view it in the in the Donner cut. That's where it all falls apart for me because he's well, reverse time Donner, and it's never happened. Yeah. And it's just like, what are we doing here? The, the Donner cut is just an utterly broken piece of media. Like it doesn't work as a film at all, and it really bothers me that it's viewed as the superior of the two. Like there are scenes in it that are superior, absolutely there are, but all in all, it never comes together as a whole because it wasn't finished like and it's just this weird fan edit of a thing that will never be a full film and what one of the things we're hoping to do on our show is we want to create what we're going to call the ultimate superman 2 cut where we take all the bits we like from all the different versions including the weird three hour long tv edit that was aired in europe in the 80s and never seen again uh, and we're going to assemble the ultimate cut of superman 2 but i i do not think the donner cut is that <laughs> it's just a weird mess I uh, I do agree that the best version is probably a combination of them. I've gone back and forth on this a little bit. Ultimately, the Jorel of it all and the toning down of the campiness, or really the eliminating of as, as much campiness as possible, mm -hmm. does make me prefer the Donner cut, except for that ending. It really loses me. But 
I get where you're coming from. I actually, I, I re- mentioned you, I think when, when we, we did our hundredth episode, uh, cause I had seen you post something about how it was about a screening of, of the Donner cut, I think. And you had posted about how, you know, you, you were lamenting the fact that like, this seems to now be kind of overtaking the other one. And it's like the theatrical cut of yep. Superman two is what we all grew up with. And, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want to see that discounted. So I, I, I you know, I, I can totally appreciate that. But yeah, the diner scene is funny. I think, I think when you posted your edit where you added the music, I was like, you should do the Donner cut version of this where, you know, Superman and Lois gave him flying around the, gave us Superman flying around the world at the end of uh, season two to separate the earth. So you have that footage. So you could do a whole thing where yeah. like <laughs> Tyler Hecklin's Clark reverses time. So Jonathan is wow. never punched, but then Clark still goes to the diner and gets the crap out of this guy. <laughs> Oh, wow. You've given me some serious ideas now. That's interesting. (laughs) Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Let me uh, let me go to some patron questions, and this will actually, I think, tee up a couple of things that we hadn't hit on yet. Yeah. So these are all from uh, Brian Dempsey, uh, one of our top patrons. And uh, thank you, Brian. and thank all patrons uh, for the support. So a few of these things we've already hit on. He asked about uh, Lex in particular, considering how late in the season Lex is being introduced. Do you think it would have been better to keep his casting quiet? Uh, yes, definitely. And uh, I mean, we yeah. haven't talked about this depiction of Lex, but kind of on this note, uh, how do you like this interpretation of Lex Luthor? Well, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit uncertain. I have to say, I, I, I'm all about the casting, Michael Cudlis, an inspired choice that you cannot fault his performance at all. I think he's great. I just think so far he's been kind of built up as this vengeful mobster. Uh, which to me seems like a missed opportunity. And it's like, there's an awful lot of those scenes in the penultimate episode where he's in prison and he's bartering and he's doing all this stuff with the razor and all that. I was kind of like, this feels very similar to what we saw in the Daredevil show with Kingpin. And, you know, for me, I think this series has already cashed in its, its free MCU character voucher with Tal Rowe, who was basically Loki from the Thor movies. <laughs> I, I, I kind of can't really let them get away with it again, you know? And for me, what, like not to get political or about it or anything like that, but when, when you have all of these examples out there in the world of these crazed billionaires who think they're geniuses, who are trying to destroy the world, it, it actually feels a little bit irresponsible to kind of go, okay, well, we have Lex Luthor. Let's just make him this mobster guy who is got a, he's on a vengeful crusade against Lois and Clark. 
Now, that being said, he's going to be a regular cast member in season four, so we don't really know what they're going to do with him in that. I'm very intrigued to find out more about the Contessa del Portenza, who apparently exists in the world of this show, and his daughter, Lena Luther, from 90s comics. Very delighted to hear they're, they're probably going to be on the cards, and hopefully they will be regulars too. Really excited to see all that. But in the two episodes we've seen, it felt a little bit too much like Stone Cold... Uh, Stephen D'Onofrio <laughs> to me, Vincent D'Onofrio. Again, no disrespect at all to Michael Cudlitz, who I think is great, and he looks great, he looks the part, that's all fine. Just wasn't 100% on the interpretation. I hear you, and I I, I totally agree about uh, the Contessa and Lena. Those references are great. I'm excited to see that play out. The woman who Sam Lane is dating, he, he gives her name as Gretchen, Gretchen so Gretchen Kelly, and we have and Otis. She was played by... Rebecca Stab from the 1994 Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. Oh, I saw someone. I was, maybe it was you who uh, tweeted about that. That recently. was M- Michael Bailey tweeted it. I uh, was like, God, I totally. Mi-. And I only watched that the other week. That's amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. So no, those polls from the from the 90s Triangle era are always great, always appreciated. Yeah. When we when we talk about feeling like the show is made for us, I think that's a perfect. <laughs> these are perfect instances oh where it's like clearly the comics that were formative for us were for a lot of the people involved in the show. So. That's always awesome. Never mind the comics. There was a Superboy reference in this season. Oh, that's there right. Was a, there was a Superboy reference and there was a Lois and Clark reference. So there's a scene where Superman is face, facing Onomatopoeia and a truck drives behind her and says, Eckworth Industries. That is a direct reference to an episode of Superboy season two. And it was put in there by Max Kronick, who I believe is a story editor. And he's been trying to get a Superboy reference in the entire time. And then later on in the season, Lois is reading a book about uh, Wanda Detroit, who was uh, a character from a novel that Lois was writing in Lois and Clark. Both references just blew me away more than anything in The Flash. Like these were the ones where I was kind of going, yeah. Those are some oh, amazing, amazing Easter eggs. Yeah, the one to Detroit from one of the most beloved uh, arcs in Lois and Clark history. <laughs> we had fun when we talked about it, but I, I still, I still, it's, it, it's fun. It's fun. Look, John Shea makes that arc for me. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. He's so, so good as Lex Luthor. And especially in those episodes, this means war that I can, I can forgive all the unfathomable tomfoolery that's going on elsewhere. Yeah. Hey, listen, when he, when he finds out that Clark is Superman and he shows up at, at oh. Clark's apartment and he blasts him and, you know, Pa Ken is there with him. Oh, great stuff. So yeah, those polls, those polls were great. And yeah, I mean, as far as this Lex, I overall, I, I like this. I like what we've seen so far. I do. We do definitely need to see more. I mean, I like, I like the physicality and the intensity that, mm-hmm. that this version has. Look, the John Cryer version ended up being a lot better than I, than I thought he was going to be and better than he had any right to me. You know, when they announced that casting, I was like, yeah. oh, really? But you know, look, we've, we've seen enough at this point. We got to keep an open mind. And I think in terms of what role he he was there to fill in the Arrowverse uh, on the Supergirl show and, and and Crisis and all of that. I think he did a great job yeah. and again, was was better than I thought. Still doesn't, you know, he doesn't land as one of the all-time great Lex Luthers in my mind. So all that's to say, I was ready to see a new interpretation of the character. And I like that this, you know, there was this phil- you know physicality and intensity. I mean, it's funny when we see him in prison and you see him picking picking a fight with those guys, I'm like, oh, is he just going to like fight them and beat them? And then, of yeah. course, that's not the case. And I, I was a little bit split on that because on the one hand, I'm like, it would actually be 
I mean, that would be a quick way to show you who this guy is and, and establish him. But at the same time, I guess ultimately it, it made more sense that he exerts this leverage over the warden and uses that to get what he wants as opposed to literally being able to physically dominate. But it would have been a different different approach. Mm. It is such a kingpin maneuver, though, to have all this these, this unseen army out there and they've got his family. And it's it's so, it's just really mafia vibes I got from it. That to me isn't Lex, you know, I, I just didn't, it felt like, you know, we've, we've spoken about George Reeves. Like there's so many episodes of that where a villain will come, they'll escape from prison and it'll be someone that Clark Kent sent away years ago with a story he wrote. And like, it could just as easily have been Max Mencken or whatever. Like, it, it, there was nothing in it that felt essentially Lex to me in in the in the ways that you know John Cryer and Michael Rosenbaum and all those guys felt. And and again, they can develop on that. We're like, thank goodness that the Lex Corp or the Luther Corp—they're still calling it Luther Corp. Can we call it Lex Corp? I know. The, the the Luther Corp building is the beautiful post-crisis one that actually looks like an L. So that's there in Metropolis. So hopefully we will go there in season four and see all that. They can explore the white collar stuff a bit more. Um, so, you know, the, the stage is definitely set. But in these two episodes, I don't know. It's true. In these two episodes, again, you see the flashbacks to him in prison and how he how he becomes top dog. And then in the present day, he's walking for, for most of the episode, walking to the Kent farm. That was cool. I like that. And, uh, and then, you know, underground and the, in the train tunnels, all, you know, a lot of the Superman movies as he's experimenting yeah. on Bizarro. And that was brutal. That was really brutal. Yes. The, the, the constant killing of, of that character to eventually turn him into doomsday. It was, uh, you know, like a little tough to stomach at a couple of points. I will say, you know, I, I keep saying that it's not essentially Lex when he, when he plays the music and we're so used to hearing Lex play classical music. And then this time he's playing like really heavy metal. I thought that was a nice change. That was nice. That was cool. I not, not to nitpick, but it's my wife and I are both laughing about this when he shows up at the Kent farm and he, you know, he's, he's there to finally confront Lois, right? Cause she wrote the article mm. that put him away and you know, we know, and they know they, everybody knows Lex, not a great guy, but he actually wasn't guilty of the crimes that he went to prison yes. for. That was that was Bruno and Pia. And Onomatopoeia, she used her her sonic abilities to to fake this confession from Lex. And so Lex is here now to confront Lois. And the whole episode, he's every time we see Lex, he's marching towards somewhere. Eventually we find out it's the Ken Farm. It's like, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna threaten? And this whole thing is like, you have to retire. And obviously, look, being a reporter is is a, a core tenet of who Lois is. So of course that's a big deal. I don't mean to diminish that, but it just Mm. I, I did have this feeling of like, oh, it's like for Lex Luthor, you, I don't know. I was expecting something worse or more sinister. It's like all of that. He's like, I right, just stop writing articles. It's like, oh, okay. I mean, clearly she's not going to do that, but I don't know. I, I think I was expecting something a little bit, a little bit more I, severe. I do kind of like the idea though, that Lex's vindictive, sinister tendencies only really come to the surface when he doesn't get his way. And if he actually just got his way, then he wouldn't be as much of a monster as he is. Like I, I was deba debating with someone about the 88 miles to Metropolis. You know that story? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's, obviously, it's one of my favorites. And and the, the person I was debating with was, well, I don't know if Lex would really be, you know, going around doing these nasty things and then bragging to his staff about it afterwards. And my reading on that is, well, no, the reason Lex is doing that is because he feels powerless in, in a world with Superman in it. So in order to feel like he still has power, he just does these nasty little hobbies that he has, you know? And this to me felt a little bit like that. It was like, 
He's given Lois this ultimatum, this simple ultimatum of just, well, you can just retire. But if you don't, that's when it gets, you know, nasty. And I, I, thought, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a few more questions from Brian. Uh, this one we addressed. He said, uh, I felt like the actor playing Jonathan slipped into the role rather nicely, though he seems more mm. soft-spoken. What did you think of him? Yeah, I mean, we were both... We're both fans. I mean, that's not a, that's not an easy thing to step into. And I, I read an interview with him where he said, like his first day on set, Tyler Heckman like took him aside. And he's like, look, this is your role now. This is your thing. You do it. And that's very nice to see. Uh, Brian also asks about the breast cancer storyline. He said, this was a hard season to watch. It was well scripted and acted by the two leads. I really felt they had many moments testing Clark in ways we haven't seen in live action before. His sense of helplessness, his solemn support of his wife. Did these small scenes elicit an emotional response from you? I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, I, for, you know, any, anyone in your life, but especially, you know, like sitting next to our significant others as we're watching, as we're watching this, it's like, you, you can't help but think of that. So definitely. And, and to go back to something I was saying earlier on in the finale, there's that wonderful scene you were talking about where they, they fly to Italy and Lois is like, well, you know, I, I want to do it right now kind of thing. Wonderful scene. I feel like that scene belongs at the end of next season. I feel like that that the scene I loved so much was the scene where they're really talking about the future of their intimacy and are we actually going to be able to do this? It's going to take time, but we're going to put the work in. We're going to make it work. To me, 30 days after she finishes her treatment feels a little bit too accelerated. And again, going back to that thing of maybe they thought that this was going to be their last episode and they wouldn't have a chance to do it again. If so, that's fine. But I, I would have liked to have seen that maybe a little bit farther down the line, you know? But again, you can't fault the scene or the performance. It was it was amazing. So good. Yeah. And kind of on that note of of acceleration, I all along the way, I kept I kept waiting for some sort of time jump. Like even once we yeah. were in the storyline, I still kept figuring, well, they're they we won't stay here forever. And especially she had the double mastectomy. I figured, you know, we end up getting that 30 day time. But I thought it would be like, oh, like months later and she's had the reconstruction and, and all of that and she's back to quote unquote normal. But they stayed with her. Uh, in, in throughout all of that. And I'm glad they did. I mean, because that's the reality of this. And for people who have gone through this, it's like you, that, that is what it is. And I think that would have been doing a disservice to that storyline and for people who have lived with this if they jumped over anything. So I really, I, but you got to give them credit for really staying in it the way that they did. And, you know, to, to Brian's question, we talked about this. I mean, yeah, there a lot of, it's, it's, it's interesting. How do I put this? Watching this, and I watch this, you know, we watch this basically live, or, you know, time delayed via DVR, but, but every night, mostly because I don't want to get spoiled on Twitter. So it's like, I'm trying to watch it as quickly as possible, but also, you know, I was genuinely excited to watch, but there was also this feeling of like, this was so heavy yeah. that you really kind of had to steal yourself a little bit before you went in. It's not just like, oh, like it's, you know, he's going to fight a freak of the week this week. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, this is, uh, you know, you really kind of had to emotionally prepare yourself for it, but it's, that's not a criticism. It's, I think a testament no. to what they, what they did. No. And, and going back to what I was saying, like I could, I, I think this is an adult storyline, not in that it's mature or it's violent or it's dark or anything like that. It's just, it's something that adults have to deal with. It's not really something that, well, you know, please God, it's, it's, it's not something that people in their early twenties or their, in their teens have to deal with as much. So I would absolutely understand if there was someone you know, of that generation watching kind of going, well, I, this isn't, I, I want to watch Superman. What's going on here? You know? So, uh, no, I, I really, really admire them for doing that. And I, I just think it was so strong and it really spoke to me in a big way. I really loved it. 
There was a moment that I guess I, I, I kind of wanted to see, but at the same time, it probably would have been too on the nose. And I admire the restraint that the show exercised and mm. that Clark did. But I guess the whole idea that he has these powers and they can't help in this instance, that theme is definitely there. But I guess all along the way, I was, I was hoping for slash waiting for Clark to more explicitly articulate his frustration of like, I'm Superman. Like I can do anything a again. You feel his frustration. So maybe it didn't need to be said, but I don't know. Would you, yeah. how do you feel about that? I know, I know what you mean. And I feel like they, they, to me, I was satisfied that they did it in a more subtle way than that. I, I felt like that was coming across throughout. And we've seen his big, like he had a big Superman speech at the start of, at the end of season one. And I think there was another one in season two, We've seen all these examples of Superman kind of expressing that mentality that there's always a way there's, you know, we can fight on no matter what. We've seen so much of that in this version of the character that, that I bought it, that this would be something he wouldn't be able to verbalize, you know? Um, and yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I know what you're saying, but it, no, it didn't bother me. Yeah. I think that's ultimately where I land too. Mm. On a more superficial note, Brian asks, it seemed to me that Tyler's ever-present 10 o'clock shadow was a little more under control this season compared to last. Do you agree or disagree? I don't know that I was really tracking it that much. I, I, I don't know. It just, it seemed the same to me, but I don't know. Did you have, uh, did you notice anything? I, I, didn't, I didn't really notice that. I will say the, 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 the magic trick of the, of the, the 10 o'clock shadow, as he calls it, <laughs> uh, there, there's a little bit of salt and pepper in there. So it, it makes Tyler Hecklin look a little bit older than, Tyler Hecklin's like two years older than me. And I completely buy him as this 40-something-year-old man who is the father of teenage sons. Like, in every every episode, it never bothers me that he's, like, the same age as me. It's weird. Yeah. And I think the beard helped. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm, I'm on board with the, with the beard look. Uh, and then Brian's last question is, we haven't talked yet about uh, John Henry, but generally and specifically uh, in the context of his uh, relationship with with Lana. But yeah, I mean John Henry had some some business this season dealing with the his doppelganger on this world and and his past and that's of course what leads him to 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 Bruno and to the doppelganger of his sister. Uh he has to deal with Nat starting to date uh and he clearly does not handle that well. That first dinner with Matteo goes <laughs> goes very poorly. Uh there's also an interesting episode early on when Nat wants to give Lois the necklace, right? That had, that mm. had belonged to her mom. And he has a very, very strong reaction to that. And then of course the, the tension between John and Sam and Superman over how to handle Bruno Mannheim. And then this growing uh, development of his uh, uh, feelings for, for Lana and vice versa. So yeah, I mean, well, how did you feel about the John Henry's stories over the course of the season? It, really, really strong. And, and, and again, you know, the, the animosity with Bruno was probably the highlight of it, but, it was actually my partner, Saoirse, um, made this great point that in seeing Pia pass the way Natalie and John Henry did, uh, not only did they, did they kind of become kind of kindred spirits with Bruno in a way, but it, it almost helped them come to terms with the death of their Lois in a way. Like they, they don't express it, but it, it's just a nice coming full circle kind of thing. And remember as well that Superman was responsible in their in their universe for Lois's death. And in this universe, he's not, he's not directly responsible, but he is the one who, who brings the body of Pia down. So there was just a nice kind of mirroring of the two events there that I really, really liked. You know, it was an interesting point. 
Um, and I, I did think we saw some of Wole Park's um, best acting in those scenes with Mannheim this season and ju- just the, the tension between them and the tension between him and Natalie when she wanted to be with Matteo, which at times was a little bit kind of stilted and a bit contrived, but I forgave it because of the scale of everything going on. Um, really, really good stuff. The Lana thing, I was kind of like, okay, well, if Kyle pairs off with Chrissy, we need these two to pair off. So that's fine. You know, they had a bit of chemistry. It was a nice little date and they had a nice kiss. It wasn't something that I was rooting for quite as much as kind of Chrissy and Kyle, but it was nice, you know. Um, I, mu- I must point out, actually, your episode on the Steel movie, uh, I was really very fond of. And your colleague who you had on at the time, whose name escapes me, he spoke wonderfully about the Steel comics that he read in his youth and how great they were. And I often find myself wondering what he must think of this version of the character because it is so different to the Steel of the comics. It's effectively an original character. And while I'm very, very pleased with what they've done with John Henry Irons, I do wonder if fans of the character might be kind of going, well, this isn't Steel at all. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I guess that's fair. I feel like he's, there, there are enough of those uh, you know, those aspects of the character where it, 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 it tracks, but yes, they've definitely mm. done their own thing, uh, with him. But yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I, I agree. I think everything with Bru- with John Henry and Bruno was, was very strong and yeah, on both sides. And again, going back to what we were saying about Bruno, when you have a compelling villain with reasonable motivations, the fact that we get to a place of, of peace or at least understanding between Bruno and John Henry really speaks to that. Although, it felt like a, it felt like maybe a bridge too far. Although I, I ultimately I think they earned it. But just in that moment at the DOD and Bruno's final scene where he's like saying to John Henry, like, look out for Mateo, it's like, all right. I mean that might I feel like that might be pushing things a little bit, but but he you know, he lands all right. He's still he's at the D we find out he's at the DOD Academy. Uh that's very strange, man. I'm sorry. Why would you let someone like that into the DOD Academy? <laughs> Yeah, that feels like you're asking for trouble. Although, I don't know. Maybe they're like, listen, we got to keep an eye on this kid. We put him in here. It makes me think of that that planned but now aborted Arrowverse spinoff, Justice You, that was going to star David oh, Ramsey yeah, yeah. as Diggle, where he's like the professor at a superhero academy. That's what I think of when I talk about DOD Academy. I also, I did like, I liked uh, Sam really, and we don't see a ton of it, but taking Nat mm-hmm. under his wing and and even by the time we get to the finale, introducing her as his granddaughter, I really like that. Um, yeah, the Nat Mateo stuff, I agree with you. I, I chalk it up to, there's only so much real estate here. We assume that this is developing more off screen because they get to, I love, and look, they're also kids and this yeah. first love. I have to, I have to check myself and kind of remember that, but it just felt That's like weird. we got to, I love you like, like real fast. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> and down. Some of his whole kind of like tracking Natalie down and driving all the way out to Smallville. And some of that was kind of like, I don't know if this is romantic or just creepy, guys. <laughs> you know, a little bit of that. But that actor, so he was on uh, AP Bio. Uh, I was going to say short lived, but it ran four seasons. A sitcom with Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So he was he was on that. And then it's funny, I I didn't place him. And then I I was talking with our mutual friend Lance Laster. He's like, oh, you know what he's from, right? And I was like, what? He played the the young version of Jonathan Major's character from Creed Three in the flashbacks. Oh my goodness. So he did. Yeah. Great. Damien, young Damien. That's given me a whole new respect for that guy. Yeah. Those scenes were great. Creed 3 was awesome. Yeah. So he's, he's had a nice run, uh, this young actor. I, I really did like him in this because I, I feel like you, he did a really good job. I thought he walked a nice line because you buy him as just this sort of 
nice kid, right? And wholesome, mm. you know, wholesome uh, love interest. But you also could buy that depending on how things break here in terms of everything with his mom, he could go down a, a different path. And as I'm watching this, once again, a prediction that that proved wrong. As I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, I could see him like stepping up for his, like Bruno gets taken out, mm. but now he's had this dark turn and now he rises. And clearly that wasn't what they did. And I'm ultimately glad they didn't, I guess. But I would have bought that. Like I thought he walked a, a good line there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, maybe this is telling that we haven't yet even, <laughs> I don't know if we've even mentioned Jordan. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Strange shift there, wasn't this? Yeah, he had a rough season. He continued his budding superheroics, complete with a <laughs> costume that was very, very in line with a proto costume that Clark wore in the American Alien uh, comic book miniseries with the goggles and everything. Yeah, I had to have that pointed out to me. I, I admit, I, I didn't. I was kind of, like, what are they? Is this like the Rocketeer, like or, or like some kind of Max Fleischer throwback or something? I didn't really know what they were going for with that, but um. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I like that Max Landa story, even though I don't really like Max Landa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Problematic author aside, the book I think is, yeah. is really, really interesting. And I, yeah, it's funny. It's been a while since I watched it now, but that Superman man of tomorrow animated movie with Darren Chris voicing mm. him, I feel, do they put him in like a proto costume like that as well? I can't remember. That's one I haven't seen actually. I have to admit, Alan is a big fan and we were hoping to do an episode on it at some stage, but I'm not sure. Oh yeah. I did. I mean, I need a rewatch cause I clearly it's been a while. I don't remember all of it, but it was, I remembered liking it. It was, it was solid, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's that aspect, but he's just like really not handling the breakup with Sarah well or maturely at all. And then even in his superhero guys, really his ego gets the better of him and he starts to enjoy the, the adoration. And, uh, despite being told to stand down and not use his powers and go home, he, he continues to insert himself. He helps Clark, uh, d- dissolve a tornado and then he he lands and takes pictures selfies with people uh and mm-hmm. you know really crosses the line and it leads to one of my favorite scenes from from the season when they had that their confrontation in the kent kitchen and like clark goes to grab him and, and jordan uses his powers and clark's like don't you ever do that again and the, that's the dad in me and i was like oh yeah like that would be, <laughs> that's that's a and tense again, moment gr- Great. Tyler Hecklin acting there. Like just that look of just utter, not not just fury, but also disappointment. And he's just really heartbroken that this just happened. Really, really good stuff. And shout out to that. They do this little special effect when he pushes him. So it's just this like super, super strength shockwave kind of goes up in the air. And it's so subtle, but it's really, really well done. Um, and yeah, it's almost like they, they, they built Jordan's whole kind of teenage rebellion around being able to do that scene in a way. Um, I, the, the, the Superman fanboy in me was like, are they going to have to go to the Fortress of Solitude and use the, the molecule chamber from Superman 2 and take away his powers? <laughs> but luckily they didn't do anything as ridiculous as that, but there's still time. <laughs> yeah. Well, especially with, uh, their reduced budget next season, they might, <laughs> they might all yeah, be going yeah, into exactly. that molecule chamber, but it, it's funny. So I don't, my wife wasn't too keen on, on Jordan this season and, that's probably, I feel like that's probably how a lot of people felt. It was a little, mm. a little frustrating, but you know what? Ultimately it, it worked. Um, I do wish for the actor's sake, they had given him maybe a little bit, like a little bit more to do or a little bit more to chew on. A lot of it really, and it's funny too, it, when, when I rewatch this, maybe there's more stuff that I'm kind of glossing over and it's like, oh yeah, but yeah. I kind of just looking back on it in, in some, it just feels like so much of it was what we just talked about. But I do this whole 
you know, this whole, uh, you know, bit about the, the ego and just wanting the attention and everything. I mean, it, it is natural. And it's like, I, I was saying to my wife, I was like, you know, in the pilot episode of Smallville, Clark gets that truck from Lex and he wants to keep it. And, yeah. and he's like, you know, pleading with Jonathan. He's like, well, I saved his life. And John and Pa's like, well, would you think you deserve a prize? And, and that's kind of it for Clark. And we kind of move from there, but it is a, a reasonable, natural, I think, inclination or something to struggle with. And so I, th- that piece of it made sense. The, the, continuing heartache over Sarah, that's what kind of, I think, grew grew more yeah. tiresome for me. And and to your point as well, like one of the things I really admire about the show is they're not afraid to write teenagers in a way where they're actually, you know, it's plausible that they would act that way because they're teenagers, you know? And that's why sometimes I think this, the show really does skew to an older audience because teenagers don't want to know that they're irrational and kind of make impulsive, rash decisions and stuff like that. Um, so I, you know, I, I thought it worked in that way, you know, whereas, whereas Smallville was kind of presented in a way where you are supposed to think that these are idealistic people that you could, you know, you ne- you, you're, it's nearly designed in a way that you're supposed to look up, look up to them and they're nearly supposed to feel like adults. Whereas watching it, watching this show, no, these are kids, like they're going to make stupid decisions. And if Clark's son has powers, he's going to deal with it in a really ridiculous way. Um, absolutely agree on the relationship with Sarah and I have to say, during the finale, when they had their their moment in the diner where he kind of apologized for his poor behavior and then they shook hands and I kind of turned to Saoirse and I was like, yeah, that that's that's enough now. That's like, they're not getting back together now. This is like Dawson and, and Joey in Dawson's Creek. It's like, she she can't end up with him now. It's it, too far gone, I think, you know, and it's a very nice, amicable, platonic breakup there. And that's that. And I really hope they don't go back to that well. Yes. No, I, I agree with that. There was, a, there was at least one moment, I guess it was the episode where Sophie goes missing and, and Jonathan really steps up. Did you think that they were going to maybe go in a Jonathan, Sarah direction? I I believe that they will do that. I And I, I wouldn't have anything against it. I, I think that would be an interesting route to go. Um and it would, it would, you know, but then you're kind of like, they've only got 10 episodes left. Are they going to be able to draw out the, 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 the kind of drama you'd need to do a storyline like that? I don't know. But, um, you know, I really like the actress who plays Sarah and she often has to be the bad guy in a lot of these kind of showdowns with Jonathan and so, or with Jordan. So I really wouldn't mind if, if, if they explored the other thing they could do, of course, is she explored her sexuality in previous seasons. They might have her end up with someone else or, or no one, they might not go down a romantic route with her again. But, uh, I definitely thought, yeah, they could, they could have her and Jonathan get together. Yeah. I like the, the couple of instances where they gave her something to do that had nothing to do with Jordan. Like mm. when she has the fight with Lana and Lana slaps her. Whoa, that was intense. Yeah. Did they kind of gloss over that a bit though? I don't know. I felt like she, because then she goes to Kyle's and she spends the night, and then they have the whole family meeting about it. And I feel like they, mm. they, yeah, did their due diligence with that, I suppose. Uh, but there was that, and oh, and then when uh, when she bonds with Chrissy, I again like unexpected. Oh yeah, that was good. Like the character pairings, and you see that, and you know, Chrissy's got you know weed gummies or mushrooms or whatever in her, <laughs> her bag, or whatever it was. Uh, and then of course Lana sees that. Like that, I thought that stuff was great. That that was good, and and it it was sensibly handled, and you know, it was a great moment from Chrissy where she was talking about how she had a divorced dad as well, and that actress especially has had great material to work with this season. She's really come into her own, and 
yeah, again, going back to what I was saying earlier on, really, really grateful that they they kind of gave those actors in particular more to do. And she was really good at, yeah, I really, really liked that. And it could have been something that they dragged out for too long and they could have done a whole CW shenanigans with it, but they didn't. They were really sensible and really authentic with it. I really liked that. Yeah. The character who 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 would be Chloe, who could have been Chloe. <laughs> yeah. And they made her wear that weird Alison Mack wig in season two when she went to a cult meeting. What were they doing there? I know, you guys know. I was like, what's going on here, guys? <laughs> yeah. Now, all in all, even Alison Mack aside, I'm glad Chrissy Beppo is her own character. And uh, Absolutely. Yeah, I, I liked where that went. Uh, and then, yeah, with Lana, again, I think we've hit on a, on a lot of the, the main pieces here. Of course, she's dealing with being mayor. I like seeing her in that in that capacity to, to the extent that we do. Uh, and I liked the, her with John Henry, especially, you know, again, it's, mm. it's, it's frustrating because, we, again, we don't know how much, if at all, we'll see them next season. So, you know, at least we got we got to the point of them having their date and then continuing it uh, after and really, really going at it. And I was like, good for them. Yeah. I feel like these both of them like <laughs> really need it. <laughs> they were yeah they were oof. yeah and the date you know it's going for it yeah and like the the date itself you know we we pick up with lana <laughs> talking about her broken marriage and kyle i'm like what are you doing here but she she recovered she recovered but the with the hand i was like oh, okay <laughs> yeah uh but yeah is there anything else uh about this season that we haven't talked about that, that you wanted to uh, I'm just looking through my notes here. Uh, no, just I, I think I've just been effusive with my praise. And, you know, anyone who listens to my show will know that I've, I don't just shower things with praise all the time. I'm frequently very critical and just really, really grateful that this existed and that we we have it for a little bit longer. Um, and that, that it, it tackled the things it did, but in, in the way that it did. And it's just a tribute to everyone involved. And uh, shout out to Adam Malinger, by the way. Forgot to say that. Adam Allinger, he goes by Bitter Script Writer on Twitter. And he and a guy called Max Kronick are responsible for a lot of the little Easter eggs in the show. And he is a massive, massive Superman fanatic. He loves the kind of era of comics that we all love, the, the death of and post-crisis and all that. And a lot of the references, I believe, are him and that other guy, Max Kronick. And he's really, really active on Twitter. He's constantly posting Superman-related content. And he actually... Uh, before we go, um, obviously directors are always given out about superhero movies and that they're, they're whatever, they're childish, they're not cinema, they're theme park rides and all this kind of stuff. And I think it was um, James Cameron who said that all superhero movies focus on characters who are basically just college students and they don't have anything more complicated to deal with than that. And they never deal with truly adult situations. And Adam Allinger tweeted this thing basically going, can somebody send me James Cameron's address? Because I have two seasons of a CW show I would love to send him. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, way to go. He's absolutely right. No, that's, that is amazing. So yeah, shout out to, to him and, and the whole crew. And actually, one, one last question. We, we, we touched on this, but yeah, this season was definitely far lighter on Superman and the action generally. And there there was at least one episode where there was no Superman at all and plenty of episodes mm. where Superman was pretty minimal. To be honest, I was fine with that, especially in terms of this story that they were telling. I guess, how did you feel about that? And, and also, do you feel like this was at all in part to demonstrate that they could tell a smaller scale story such that they... They, they could have a season four with less budget because there are other ways for them to, to sort of go about their business. 
let me tell you about two Superman shows I love, Anthony. Uh, Adventures of Superman from the 50s and Lois and Clark, the new Adventures of Superman from the 90s, both of which had to deal with a television landscape where there was no CGI and there was very limited Supermanning that they could do. And they told great, grounded, you know, low-key stories. And personally, those are the kind of st- Superman stories I prefer. If we only see Superman for a minute or two an episode, but we tell a really engaging, character-driven Clark Kent story, absolutely fine by me, baby. I would much prefer that than, you know, a, a two-hour cartoon where he's just being punched into buildings all the time. I, I, absolutely, no problem with that at all. And I saw someone on Reddit going, no, there needs to be a quota. There needs to be a percentage of the episode devoted to Superman action. And I was going, oh my God, no, don't let this person anywhere near a writer's room, you know? Uh, no, I'm absolutely fine with that. As am I. And and again, it it does... I mean, I've I've always had a lot of confidence in this show, but I think I'm even I, I'm even more optimistic about season four, even with them having less resources at their disposal, because I think they've mm-hmm. really shown they can they can do a lot without the the spectacle side of it. So, uh, yeah, I am I'm looking forward to season four. A little maybe a little cautiously optimistic still, but I'll keep an open mind yeah. and and uh, you know I'm I'm glad that. I'm glad that we're getting this because, again, it really seemed like like we weren't going to. So I thank you so much for coming to talk about the season with me. I really enjoyed it. And where would you like to direct folks uh, towards your podcast? Uh, All-Star Superfan. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our Twitter is All-Star Superpod, and all of our other socials are All-Star Superfan. We, uh, by the time this goes out, we have an episode about the man who has everything, uh, which we, we, we definitely mentioned Superman and Lois in there as well. And um, we, we talk about all the other media versions of that story and then obviously the comic as well. And it's, it's a really, really good one. So check that one out. Awesome. I encourage everyone to do that. Uh, so thank you again, Rob. Thank you, audience. I always appreciate you tuning in. Next week, folks, it begins Red Skies, our epic 13-part, 13-episode look back at DC's crisis-level events. It's going to be a really big, fun run of episodes and I hope you will join us for it. So it all kicks off next week. And of course, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network, home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.